I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our featured poet today is Tamar Samuel Siegel. She grew up in rural northwestern New Jersey. Yes, there is a rural section of New Jersey. And she grew up in a multilingual, multicultural household and extended family. She is also influenced by her appreciation for religion, education, music, dance, art, and metropolitan diversity introduced to her by her parents through their encouragement of her and their own endeavors. Maybe we'll learn about that too. She has an MA in teaching English to speakers of other languages from Tel Aviv University. And she currently resides in Central Virginia. So Tamar, I'm so glad we uh, are here doing this. I'm really interested to hear your poems and stories about Israel, perhaps, and whatever you want to tell us. Great, Charlie. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay. Uh, well, you know, uh, were your parents involved in the arts? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, my my mom, in particular, is uh, has always had some kind of crafting that she's been engaged with. So we were never just watching TV. We were watching TV and listening to the click of knitting needles. Um, <laughs> So that that feeling of something always being in the works or creating something, imagining a new design was uh, was definitely a force around us. Um, I don't think of my dad as much as being in the arts per se, although he has recently in his retirement um, taken a, a painting course, which I just found incredibly inspiring. You know, he went from uh, a basic black and white painting all the way through to a beautiful landscape at the end of this semester. And wow. um, that was, that was quite inspiring to watch, but he is, he has um, always been a very devout um, religious person. And in the sense I've watched, there's a sort of artistry to that performance of ritual. So I think I, I uh, consider him to be part of that foundation very much. Yeah. And, and there is the notion of general creativity, whereas somebody is a specialized painter or sculptor, but then there are people who just, they're just creative the way they live Absolutely. and the way they think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, lucky you to grow up with that around you. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and and uh, we were talking before that you uh, yourself are involved in more than poetry. You used to uh, took lessons in music and dance and play a couple of instruments. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah, from the time I was really young, I was excited about the idea of being a ballerina, um, like a lot of little girls, I would imagine, and little boys too, probably. Um, so. I was again. I was very fortunate to um, to have the opportunity to dance. I danced through right right through high school. I I was in a dance class, and um, yeah, I have have always enjoyed the opportunity to to um, be engaged in in music and, and movement. Continue to find opportunities here and there. Well, now I've seen you. Read, I've seen you read in front of an audience, and you are um, energetic. <laughs> and uh, do you feel the 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 interplay of these other artistic things with your poetry? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. As you know, and as you and I were chatting, getting ready for this interview, I was reflecting on um, the way that both, I think, an exposure to many languages from an early age and, and hearing the musicality of languages and um, developing a sense, even in languages where you, you don't know what's going on, you're not fluent, you pick up a word here or there, but um, there's a real difference for me between hearing Chinese, for example, to which I've been minimally exposed, and um, Hebrew. And in, in Chinese, I I can't find where one word or phrase ends and the next begins. In Hebrew, I, I have a very clear sense of when a word begins and ends, when a phrase or full thought begins or ends. And that same that's that's a sort of musicality of language um, when you practice as a musician figuring out even when it's appropriate to breathe. That is so related to me to how we learn to read and eventually how we learn to write and particularly in poetry where we find our line breaks. So there's a real feeling of, of complementariness to me to our experiences with language, um, developing the ear, music, and then all of those things, of course, when you're dancing or when you're doing any kind of movement art, you have to find that same kind of um, phrasing and how much space are you going to take up with a particular series of, of ideas. Um, so I find it all very integrated. Yes, indeed. Whoa. I like <laughs> the idea of how much space you're going to take up uh, and thinking about that in a, in a poem. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, taking up space is something that I've really been exploring um, in a more in a more general sense in life recently, and uh, and certainly in the the performance that you recently got to see me undertaking at, at, at this this festival that we attended, um, I definitely thought about that idea as I was performing at the microphone. Um, because it's not just about how much time, how long will it take me to read this poem, but how how will both my my body and my breath and my my um, embodiment of the poem that that's really about space taking. It's not just about starting at you know zero and ending at one minute and thirty five seconds later. <laughs> so yeah. Right. Right, right, and that's the way, of course, with musicians. Mm. Um, if, if you're on, if you're on a big stage, you've got to be bigger, or you most try to be bigger, and uh, so you perform differently than you would if you're in a, a small club, something like that. Definitely, definitely, and part of that is not just the performer taking up space or or projecting their artwork into the space. It's also about and I, I really thought about it and visualized it as you were talking about the, the larger performance space and the smaller performance space. It's also about how um, that circuit between the performer and the audience gets created and fulfilled. So it, it's not enough for me to take up space. Something that I'm doing has to reach the audience and come back to me. And the most satisfying performances are those in which that's accomplished. Mm. So. It's interesting to know the things you're thinking of when you're doing your poems. 
I think a lot of poets might not think about these things. And this, to, me, to me, it's extremely interesting. Why don't we hear a poem? Sure. Um, so as you mentioned, I, I just completed my degree out in, in Tel Aviv this past year. So I did a lot of thinking on where a lot of my poetry is taking place in that environment. Um, I spent a lot of time with an aunt of mine and uh, got to eat a lot of her cooking. So this is called Chorba the name of a, a soup. I am sipping my aunt's chorba, wrapped in a scarf and huddled over the hot bowl of hot and sour soup full of flavors and textures I could not have tolerated as a child. Eating my mother's food in the United States sent me back to Israel, but eating my aunt's food in Israel sends me back to Europe to our cities and our shtetls, in Russia and Romania, in Bulgaria and Hungary. Sipping chorba, I catch sight of my ancestors like we are warming up together on a cool afternoon. The women look at me with eyes that remind, there are no answers. Keep living, they whisper. I am delirious with their looking into me. How do they know? But more so, how did I not know before now that they would? Mm. The food taking you back is an, it's a really interesting concept. Yeah, yeah. I think you know. Again, it's that 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 idea that you mentioned of living with artistry, and part of that artistry is certainly how we nourish our physical bodies. Uh, so the the food really wraps in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I did. I, I lived on my own, but there were, uh, I was often invited and um, she hosted me when I first arrived until I got settled in. So um, yeah, so I was very well taken care of and very well fed. <laughs> Does the, um, you are, uh, you are fluent in more than one language. Yes. Not fluent. Okay. <laughs> I'm <You're> heartily, <laughs> heartily conversational. <laughs> oh, heartily. That's a good concept. I'm just wondering if, if, uh, if you are enough in more than one language that it has some kind of influence, uh, you think, on the poetry. Oh, that's a great, great question. That's a great question. Um, wow. You know, I've never thought of my... I've never thought of the vocabulary that I have, uh, particularly, or or the sense of grammar, maybe particularly influencing my writing. Typically, um, typically my writing is um, all in English. I'm not really code switching. Um, mm -hmm. Here and there, like a word will pop up like even chorba, which is I think a soup that probably a lot of people have never heard of. Um, and there's always that question of, you know, that there's a piece of me that wants to keep it in unexplained and a piece of me that wants it to be completely accessible. And so yeah. I'm playing with that idea, but, you know, I love that question that you ask. And, um, and I wish I could say, like, yes, this is, you know, I, I feel impacted by, by these other languages. Um, but I, I don't think I can, I don't think I can claim that experience, certainly not in a conscious way. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah. yeah. I, I, have a, I have a friend from, from Mexico and he mentions the idea of when you're deciding consciously if he's going to drop in mm. non-English words. Yeah. And, and, and and partly, he, interestingly for him, depends on who he thinks he's going to read it to or present it to. Absolutely. So you might you might have, have more in there if you thought you were doing a reading back in Tel Aviv. And maybe right. half, half the poem would not be English. Right, uh, right. I don't know. That's what Gregorio said. I thought it was interesting. I yeah, I love that idea. I think I certainly think also that the like when you really are living in different languages in different settings, mm -hmm. um, that that that's I think that that would come more into your work. But for me, my yeah. my main English, my main main language, Freudian slip has been <laughs> has been English ultimately. So yeah, well, let's let's do another poem. Sure. Um, well, <laughs> well. So as this this goes i'm just going right down the line here um, okay <laughs> the next poem that i happen to have up on my screen is called my lover's language and um <laughs> having having been in relationships with folks who speak other languages as their first language this is there's this really interesting experience that happens where that mystery of what's going on in the relationship gets sort of uh, encapsulated in this words that are coming out of your lover's mouth that you literally cannot understand. <laughs> and so, um, so Russian, which is a language that I absolutely don't understand, but is absolutely beautiful. That's the, uh, that's the, the language in my lover's language. Okay. Russian, when I hear it, will always be your language. I will hear the sound of Russian and always see you smiling your face at 22. It's beaming. It's beaming. And I could write the way, if I could write the way you would pinch your shoulders and squirrel up your arms to show me the dimensions of your Russian diminutives, how they were wind up and ready to spring open so wide and unfold me, I would write it with the word krasavitsa and then loosen my pen hand and pretend to still hear the string of whispers in which you spoke my name in love. Yeah. So of course there, there's the one thing you always recognize is your own name. Right? Well, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter what, what, what else is coming before and after it, but right. there you have it. And what about the Krasavica? What is, what is yeah. that? So it's a, I, I don't know the literal translation, amazingly, um, but it is a, uh, it is a diminutive and it's, it's a, okay. it's, I understood it as um, without ever, without ever understanding the, the, the exact. literal translation, yeah. right? I, I, the way it was delivered, I always understood it as like just this full of love expression. Now you're going to get a Russian listener who's going to say, actually, he was calling you, you know, a little mushroom or something. But <laughs> it could be, it could very well be. Um, well, but that that intention was magically there. With the right tone. That's okay. Right. <laughs> exactly. Oh, exactly. my little mushroom. Yeah. Well, in French, you can call somebody your little cabbage. So I think, you know, it all sort of, <laughs> yeah. we, we find our strange ways of uh, affection. Of affection exactly. Yeah. Okay, do another one. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, so going right along with that theme of, of language and what's understood and what's not understood, this is a little vignette from a, 
an observation. It's called eavesdropping in a language I do not know. The bald construction worker sits outside the library on a bench in the shade, smoking a cigarette he rolled for himself out of a pouch. I notice that his hands are pale and then that his bald head is pale and suddenly understand that he has been showered in the dusty debris of his work. He makes a phone call. I count the number of interlocutors on the other end by the number of times I hear his rising pitch ask, Kif Halek. Once I can hear the loudness of the voice on the other side. I think this must be a child. Immediately, I wonder if he is a father. I look to his face. It is as though he could smile his love through the phone. Ah. And, and do you know what that phrase means, by the way? Yeah, keep that like, how's it going? That's, a, that's, a, that's Arabic. And um, this, was a, this was a scene outside of the library on the campus at Tel Aviv University, which at the time had some construction going on. Mm. And um, all over, all over the campus and all around Israel, you'll hear both native Arabic speakers and native Hebrew speakers, along with native speakers of lots and lots and lots of other languages. Um, and so you often have an opportunity to be immersed in language without having any notion of what the words mean. And yet, as this poem points to, yeah. Um, when we take time to um, not only observe what we can't understand, but to observe that there is so much that we can relate to just by being present with another human being, um, something happens and all these curiosities open up and um, it's really, I think it's really a uh, really a beautiful thing. So I wanted to reflect on that in this poem, yeah. and also yeah. on on the way that we do eavesdrop on each other all the time, and um, and make judgments about each other all the time. And I I like I like the way that the the language barrier also gives us an opportunity to um, surely we can we can have those judgments and and go down all kinds of negative pathways, but. Um, if we slow that down a little bit, we can also um, really see the basic humanity in one another and that idea that, hey, there's there's somebody on the other line who knows this person intimately and and you can you can perceive that <laughs> without having any idea what words are actually being exchanged. I just thought it was lovely. Well, your approach, I would say, sounds like a, a holistic um, communication approach or a holistic relating kind of approach. With language is one piece of it, okay. Mm -hmm. But then there's all the just, even the just intonation and rhythm and whatever of what's being said, and then all the other things, expression, whatever, you know. When you talk about embodying a poem and people embodying what they're saying in daily life. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for articulating that. I was starting to feel like I might have been going off into space there, but to hear you speak it back to me, that feels very much like that feels very much like it's it's hitting it on the head. All right. Give me another verbal bit of communication here. <laughs> <laughs>
uh, I think this is actually the last poem that I had prepared to share for today. Okay, so I'll give you I'll give you this one. Um, and again, it's like you know, it's really kind of flowing right along with I think the theme here. Excellent. Uh, it's called Strangers, and it's another um, it's another observation poem that kind of goes out beyond that. So Strangers. Okay. <laughs> This morning, I watch from the window as two people I know walk past each other, unaware that they are connected. I imagine how it would be if I were nearer, if I could rush from this distance to where they are, bring my love for each of them closer. Their faces would soften and they would not look past one another, but let their eyes glisten with sudden recognition, discovering their kinship. This morning, I empathize with God, who knows us all and waits for us to recognize one another. That's such a great concept. I, I really like this poem. Yeah, yeah. This is such, such a great idea, seeing these two people and knowing that you know them. Yeah. yeah. And they walk past each other and they don't know you, one doesn't know that you know the other. Right. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, it comes, it's perfect. It's right there. It's clear. It's, it's just but the idea of it. You have to stop and think about that and go, oh, I love it when my friends meet. Yeah. Your friends who didn't know each other and I can introduce them, you know, or, mm -hmm. or if they visit each other or something like that. I just, it's so, I love it. Uh -huh. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, you know, this, this is, we talked a little bit about, you know, before we got on the air here, we talked a little bit about um, truth and poetry and, and uh, how much we have to tell the truth and, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And this happens to be a case where I, I literally just documented something that I, that I did in fact see through the window. And it was wow. remarkable because, you know, you're, you're um, observing people's faces and their bodies. Again, it goes back to that embodiment theme. When someone uh, recognizes another person, you know, we see it, I think the airport is a perfect example of this, you know, people arriving at the airport, there's everybody's waiting around. And that moment, if you get to be a, an observer, you really see something happen. And it's not just happening uh for one person or for the other it's this modulating thing and people are getting closer and closer and sometimes they speed up and they run or you know whatever sometimes they slow down because they're really taking it in like whoa that is one of those moments that um happens so infrequently like a long time apart or or a great mm. distance apart and that feeling of returning into a shared space. And in small ways that happens every time we encounter our intimates after we've been away for a few hours or a day or however long it's been. Um, and there's a really remarkable um, difference between that encounter and the encounter of two people who, who just absolutely look past each other, not even acknowledging, not even making eye contact. Um, and to, to watch two people who typically, when you see them, 
they are doing the face and the body of a person who recognizes another human being. So that's how you see them. That's how you think of them. So to see them do the face and the body of someone who doesn't recognize another human being who's walking towards them, it's almost like you don't recognize that person in that moment. Who is this? Look at how, how still they can be in their being, just going about their business. Um, Anyway, I think when I was in Israel, and I just kind of want to tie it back around to that for a second, I thought so much about how incredibly valuable it was to make eye contact um, with people, people I didn't know. Um, and I thought about the power of that eye contact again to sort of, it really shifts the potential of an, of an interaction from one of of totally looking past another human being to one of of in, in, at some level meeting them on on even on even ground um so i'm not i'm not sure exactly how to wind that thought down but uh, i too love this poem i think it's one of the one of my favorite poems from that year abroad and um and I'm looking forward to continuing to explore some of the themes that it expresses. It's 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 just such so lovely the way it starts with a specific, an observation, kind of realization, and and then all all the things that are behind that that they don't know, you know them. Yeah. And yeah. and it's just it's just really interesting how something seemingly kind of simple has a whole, whole mystical thing behind it, I think. I, I know, that. I love it. And I love that. I feel like that's everywhere. And I feel like we're all, you know, we. it's just waiting for us to kind of push aside the daily stresses, anxieties, mm. and uncertainties and sort of just be with it. Have you lived in a lot of have you lived in a lot of places, by the way? You I think you suggested that in the little bio you said, yeah? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> um I have. I I um I've lived abroad on a couple of occasions. So I, I lived in Paris. I, I lived in a little town called Cholet, which is uh, a little bit further south in, in France and sort of central France. Um and I've lived in, in Israel on a couple of different occasions. And here in the United States, I've, um, I've lived in, in Virginia, I've lived in New Jersey, I've lived in Western New York, which is like totally different from Eastern New York. I've lived in Eastern New York. <laughs> so um, even in a fairly small swath of the continental United States that you still manage to live in really disparate worlds you know, yeah. amongst people who have really different priorities and values. And um, so, yeah, I've, I've, I've moved around a little bit. Well, that's good. Good grist for the poetry. Amen to that, brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, thanks so much. I'm Charlie Rossiter. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here, and we've been visiting with Tamar Samuel Siegel, who at the moment is somewhere in Virginia. Thanks for having me, Charlie. This is Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter. We have been visiting with Tamar Samuel Siegel, a most interesting poet. And now we're going to take a look at Ross Gay's third book of poems, Catalog of Unabashed Gratitude. 
This recent book won the National Book Critics Award for Poetry, the 2016 Kingsley Tuff Poetry Award, and was a National Book Award finalist. Ross teaches at Indiana University and withdrew University's Low Residency MFA program in poetry. He's also on the board of the Bloomington, Indiana Community Orchard, something that's important to him, and a lot of uh, plant imagery comes up in his poems. I heard him read recently at Bennington College, and I can tell you, he not only writes excellent poetry, he is an outstanding presenter of his work. He's genial and accessible, but he is neither simple nor simplistic. His poems sometimes end up far from where they started, but he manages to keep you with you, you with him along the way by using uh, what Robert Bly would call leaps, but they're not real big leaps, and all of a sudden you find yourself moving there on moving on a little more on a little other tangent, and a whole new interesting vistas are brought to your awareness. The book includes some odes to a number of unlikely subjects, which naturally reminds me of Neruda. But uh, let's just look at a couple of odes and as a way to give you an example of the kind of things that Ross Gay does in a poem. Here is one, Ode to the Puritan in Me. There's a Puritan in me, the brim of whose hat is so sharp it could cut your tongue out, with a brow so furrowed you could plant beets or turnips or something of course good for storing. He has not taken a nap since he was two years old because he detests sloth above all. He's maybe the only real person I've ever heard say sloth or detest in conversation. And then he goes on to talk about some other things that our puritanical uh, inner self can't stand. And he mentions if, if two cats are making whoopee in the barn, well, he will really not approve because he thinks it's worthless, the angles of animals fucking freely in the open air. He'll blast them to smithereens. I should tell you, the Puritan in me always carries a shotgun. He wants to punish the world, I suppose, because he feels he needs punishing for who knows how many unpunishable things. And the poem goes on talking a little more about unpunishable things that our Puritan character may have, uh, may have engaged in. Another uh, poem, which starts with a very simple, everyday kind of uh, activity, uh, is Ode to Sleeping in My Clothes. Now, this one reminded me of uh, Billy Collins. Seems like the kind of thing he does. He comes up with something like this, which is a little off uh, odd, but in fact, Probably just about everyone has done it at one time or another. So it's a, a little thing we share with the poet when he's telling us about it. This poem begins with a description of what he gets from this mildly idiosyncratic activity of sleeping in his clothes. You know, He even wears his hoodie and keeps his socks on. But he quickly moves on to, uh, to other things. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about that. He starts, Ode to Sleeping in My Clothes. And though I don't mention it to my mother or the doctors with their white coats, it is in fact a great source of happiness for me, as I don't even remove my socks, and will sometimes even pull up my hood and slide my hands deep in my pockets, 
and probably more so than usual, look as if something bad has happened. And so he, he likens the hoodie even to go so far as to a sarcophagus and his curled body to a corpse. But he then smoothly moves over to bring in other dimensions, such as it's said that Shostakovich slept with a packed suitcase beneath his bed. And it's said that black people were snatched from dark streets and made experiments of. And you and I both have family whose life savings are tucked in 12 feet beneath the Norway maple whose roots splay like the bones in the foot of a man who has walked to Youngstown, Ohio from Arkansas without sleeping or keeping his name. And it's a miracle maybe I almost never think of as I rise. And he goes on to say and puts on his shoes and goes through his day. Uh, and there you have it, Ode to Sleeping with My Clothes On. And that's Ross Gay's latest book. I want to tell you, it's seldom I go to a reading and immediately know I want to go out and buy the book, but that's the way it was when I heard him read. I'm Charlie Rossiter. This is Poetry Spoken Here. So glad you took time to join us and hope you'll be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com. <laughs>